Guys, it's so amazing to see you all and to be with you. And um, I think the last time I was with you was in March. Do you remember that? Do you remember March of last year when things were different than they are now? Before we knew what March of last year was going to mean. Um, you know, I don't think... If people did not believe that we are a social species created for connection and meant to live in connection with the people, I think, I think we now get an image of how true that is. That the way that God has designed not just different personalities, but all of us is to thrive as we know and are known by each other. And it would be strange if we didn't feel some kind of longing for a deeper connection than we've been able to experience. And so even in the times when I'm really sad about the way things have been, in moments of disconnection, I'm reminded of how amazing it is that to be alive is to be known and to know. And to have the people around us who are willing to take that risk and connect with us. Um, and so I've been with you all, but also just praying that we would be more and more aware of creative ways to connect and also how to connect with people who don't have others to connect with them. So, here we are in the season of Advent. Hope you guys have your Advent calendars. And I, I thought it was a good idea to give all my kids Advent calendars, like let's count down to, and so this was the first time we tried it. And um, the two girls did great, and then my son, within four minutes, had opened all 24 days. And I'm going to blame myself for that one. Um, but it is an interesting journey every single year to go from Halloween to Christmas, where we are introduced once again to the miracle of God coming and being among us. This whole idea of Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And it's easy for that to get lost on us as it's something we might have heard every single year. But it is and will always be the saving and fresh message. Whether it's December, wherever we are, how many times we have heard it, the message that God is with us is what saves and sustains us no matter where we are in our lives. So this is the text from Luke talking about Jesus' birth being foretold. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Elizabeth, will find out, is Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, which is a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, for the Lord is with you. Mary was confused by these words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So the angel, sensing her confusion, said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen, since I am a virgin? And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy, and he will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant, because nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And the angel left her. So one summer I was working at a camp as the youth pastor, but it was a small enough church that being a youth pastor also meant that you know how to take care of babies and small children and older people. And so I found myself forced to go to uh, the children's camp with these smaller people. And if my church thought I was awkward with youth, then they clearly had never seen me talking to children under 12. Um, But I went and I remember sitting with the kids and we were trying to listen to this camp pastor who was talking about Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is the short Jewish tax collector known for robbing his Jewish brothers and sisters on behalf of the Roman Empire, so not really a popular guy. And Zacchaeus is hiding up in a tree when Jesus walks by. I don't know if he was motivated by his height or if he wanted to stay out of sight because he knew he was hated, but he climbs up in this tree to catch a look at Jesus. And Jesus calls up to Zacchaeus in the tree, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to have dinner with you at your house tonight. And as I am sitting there with these children, doing everything I can to stop them from taking all the tithe envelopes in the back of the pews and drawing on them or the hymnals, all of a sudden I was struck with something that the preacher said about this. As he's talking about Zacchaeus, as he's talking about this Jesus, who wants to spend time with this guy despite his reputation, it spoke to me and I said, do I think that Jesus cares about me in particular? Like if Jesus and I were walking opposite ways down the street, I'm pretty sure Jesus wouldn't recognize me or know me, definitely not know my name, definitely not plan an impromptu dinner at my house. And what it helped me see was in general, I didn't realize that I made the cut for the specific people that God loved. Of course, God loves me in the general way. God loves everybody. That's kind of God's thing. But I didn't see God's love as a particular love, meaning I was just grouped in with humanity, not seen as an individual with my own pain and my own shame or my own name. So I certainly didn't expect for Jesus to see me in the way that he looked up and called Zacchaeus. I'm reminded of this when we talk about Christmas and the gift of God with us, this whole idea of Emmanuel. Because if you're like me, there's the temptation to depersonalize the gift of God's presence. Where God's present with us because God's present with everybody. God sent Jesus to earth to show us who God is and what it is to be human. And so the gift of salvation and grace and love are for everybody, whether or not we like it, and it's universal. But it's important for us to know today, especially in all that we've been experiencing individually and collectively, that God is present not just to us universally, but to you in particular. That this is not a generalized love, which it is and it's inclusive, however, It's particular to you that the love and the presence of God has come to you. 
We're reminded of this when we read about Mary's story here, that God knows our experiences, our failures, our insecurities, and our questions, and God knows our name. So the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, a young virgin living in Nazareth, and says to her, Rejoice, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The text says that Mary was confused and wondered what kind of greeting this was. Like, do you come bearing the good kind of news or the bad kind of news? Depends on how you feel about being pregnant. Good or bad? Mary was like, maybe, maybe you got the wrong Nazarene virgin. So picking up on her confusion, the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary, because God is honoring you. So Mary, hearing her name, realized, okay, so this is specific, not the wrong house. And Luke's text doesn't say much about Mary. We're introduced to her not even with her own story, but the story of her fiancé, Joseph, we hear about. He is in the lineage of David. And yet we don't really hear anything about Mary's background except her connection to him. We later learn that she is the cousin of Elizabeth. And in Luke chapter 1, we hear the amazing story of Elizabeth, who is barren, and she is in the line of Aaron, as in Moses' brother, and her husband, Zechariah, is a priest. Elizabeth, not being able to give birth, is told by the same angel, Gabriel, that she is going to have a son. Now, this made a little more sense than it does when Gabriel talks to Mary, because when Gabriel talks to Zechariah and Elizabeth, The text says that they are blameless and upright, these strongest people of faith, and they come from really good bloodline. But with Mary, it seems like she's just the virgin. No other information. So Gabriel tells Mary why he has come. God is honoring you. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over Jacob's house, and there will be no end to his kingdom. So Mary, with her Jewish upbringing, would have been familiar with some of these names. She knew about the line of David. She knew about the house of Jacob. She knew about these kingdoms. That made sense. And Mary then is thinking, one of these names is not like the other. How do I, Mary, fit in with Jacob and Israel and David? Then Mary said to angel, to the angel, how will this happen since I'm a virgin? Very logical question. So not only is she familiar with Jewish tradition, but also some of the details of biological procreation, right? She's already been asked to suspend her previous experiences with Yahweh, with the God of the Jewish people. And she's listened to an angel who has appeared to her and called her by name. And now you're asking her to suspend her entire understanding of the productive process. Because maybe Gabriel doesn't know where babies come from. But Gabriel tells her that the Holy Spirit will place this life within her and that the baby will be holy and will be God's son. Joseph, the one with the Davidic lineage, the one who has the blood work to prove how he is connected to this Jesus, is not going to be the one directly involved in Jesus' presence on earth. It's going to be Mary. So Gabriel meets her logical concern about the reproductive process by saying that Elizabeth, her cousin, will also have a child that defies the norm. The woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant 
because nothing is impossible with God, he tells her. So Mary's encounter with the angel seems really abrupt and unpredictable and kind of random, but it's also that particular love of God, not just the general love, but the particular love of God. God does not love us because we are a faceless number in the sea of humanity, but because you're you and you, because of who you are, because of your individual value. And we learn through Jesus' birth that the love of God isn't just a feeling or a sentiment, but is active. The love of God means that God has come near. The love of God means that God is active and that presence means something and that the reality of God in this world makes things different than they were yesterday. It's the possibility. That's what blows the ceiling off of the limits we have placed. And they're shown to be the frail limits that they are. Because nothing, nothing is impossible for God. In Luke 2, the account of Jesus' birth begins with the explanation of why Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, since they're from Nazareth. In those days, the text says, Caesar Augustus declared a census and that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in tax lists. So Caesar ordered a census to be taken. Think about this for a second. What a census means. That Caesar saw people as faceless numbers in the sea of humanity. Caesar didn't know names, nor did he care to. There was no particular distinction only a general acknowledgement of people. A group of subjects counted only for tax and empire purposes. But then there's God. Greetings, highly favored one. God sees you. God is with you. Mary. By name. How can this be? So Mary's question, how can this be? How will this happen? Was driven by her view of herself. Who is she? Her question also reflected an understanding of her physical limitations. We can understand that. She saw a limitation within her body and experience that she considered to be a deal breaker. She was a virgin and she couldn't see any way around that. And Zachariah had thought the same thing when Gabriel stood before him and said, your barren wife will have a child. How can this be, Zechariah said, because we're too old. How can this be? How can it be? How will this happen? How will things change? This has been the question that has echoed for centuries through people of faith. This has been the question since God created humanity, since God with us, in whatever ways that has looked, how can this be? This is our question as well. With both Mary and Zechariah, Gabriel is not talking to people who don't have a concept of God and the divine storyline. He's talking to two good Jewish students who understand God has been active in the world, who have heard the stories of Moses and the deliverance from Egypt to the promised land, who know that there is a promised Messiah that the prophets had declared. They know. These are people who know the journey. They know about the God who is faithful even in the midst of unfaithfulness. And I wonder sometimes 
if it's harder for people of faith to make room for God to do something new. Because maybe this Advent and Christmas season offer you and I the chance to remember that God is always in the business of creating the new. The new beginnings and the new mercy and meeting with us in new ways with fresh words. How can this be? I would assume for most of us, this has been a question. How will things change? How can things be different than they have been? How will I move through this path of loneliness and anxiety and difficulty? Maybe your question is, how can this be? Maybe your question isn't, how can this be since I am a virgin? But maybe, how will I be able to love the people around me with how awful I'm feeling inside? How will I ever experience light and love when I'm stuck at home like this? How can I support my child who won't talk to me? How can I get out of debt when I can't get a job, when unemployment isn't cooperating? How can I speak about God when I don't have a theological background? How can I escape my loneliness when I feel so rejected? How can I heal when I can't escape the painful images of the past? How can I love when I've been so wounded? How can I be loved when I've done awful things? How can I forgive when awful things have been done to me? And Gabriel explains to Mary how she will carry a child through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't really clarify Mary's deeper question because her real question sounds more like, how can this happen, what you're saying, when it flies in the face of everything I've ever experienced or felt or heard? How can I be the favored one, the one known by name? And to that deeper question, Gabriel says, because nothing, nothing is impossible. It's more than possible for God to see the people that God has created very particularly and specifically and know the heart and needs behind each one of them. Because God knows the how will this happen question that you carried with you six months ago and the ones that you woke up with this morning. Because somehow, somehow the presence of God exposes the frailty of human and cultural limitations that the things I think are blocking me off the things I think will always hold me back from a world that's bigger than I can imagine. All of the things that I believe have cut me off and shaped me to have a life that never gets bigger than what I can see. All of those limitations are breakable by the infinite power and presence of God. We act as if our perceived limitations are what are made of iron. And it's the power of God that's actually limited. But the limitations that you believe have shut you off from life and joy and love, those limitations are far weaker than the one who knows your name. No limitation is insurmountable. And Jesus will show over and over and over that people bound for death are somehow able to recover. That the poor and the rejected receive favor. That those labeled 
unable to conceive, are now six months pregnant. The broken are made whole. The abused are healed. The traumatized are restored. How? I don't know. How have you survived some of the things you have? How are you still here? Because nothing is impossible with God. And the more we buy into those limitations, the more we tell God how God is allowed to act, the more God will confound our expectations. God is always in the business of surprising, and I believe God surprises no one more than those who call themselves faithful. Just because we have seen God act does not mean we tell God how to act next. The broken are made whole. When I was in the height of my addiction and alcoholism, I wanted to know how to escape so badly. I stopped believing that there was a way out or a way that things could be different than they were. And I was drowning in despair and shame and a lot of self-hatred. While I was in a treatment center in California, a counselor told me that I was going to get better and that God would do great things through my story. And I said, how can that be when I've destroyed so much? So she may have answered my question with an outline of how we're going to do some trauma therapy and we're going to do some counseling and mindfulness meditation and connection with safe people. But ultimately, I wasn't looking for an explanation based on tasks and a timeline. I needed someone to say to me, because nothing is impossible with God. And this is the time when we need to know more than any other time that limitations are the lie and God is the truth. That the God who has come near is the God who knows your name and is particularly present. Advent, it teaches us to expect the unexpected. Just because we know the divine story does not mean we should ever presume to know how God will work. This God who blasts our expectations over and over. But in Advent, when Mary encounters the angel and Jesus shows up on earth, when we have the opportunity to be reminded to trust in a God who is not held to our expectations, and nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for the God who promises to be with us and is with us now. Let's pray together. God, we are desperate for the presence that you promise to give, for the presence that is with us. Help us to trust in the love that sees us, not just as part of humanity, but knows us by name. We are all in need of comfort and a word from you. Spirit, we trust that you can speak to us what our hearts most need to hear. Please tune our ears to your voice, especially during this season. In whatever deep pockets of our heart need to hear that nothing is impossible with you, speak that now. In your name we pray all this, trusting that it will be done. Amen.